It is so good to be here with you all this morning. I think of the words of Psalm 133, verse 1, which says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is, how delightful it is when brothers dwell in unity. What a joy it is to be a part of the family of God and to be here together. And I'm grateful for the fact that unity is one of the themes in Philippians that we're going to touch on a few times as we continue on in the book. We're going to talk about dwelling in unity this morning. But before we, we talk about dwelling in unity, I want to take a few moments to briefly lay out for us the foundation of our unity. You know, our world seeks to unite around many, many things. Some of them are, are noble and some of them perhaps not so good. But lasting peace and unity is only found through the cross of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is clear that it is Christ alone who brings peace. A unity that's based on anything else is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was reading in the book of Isaiah and I was Notice that uh, twice the prophet declares there is no peace for the wicked. There is no rest for the wicked. In, in chapter 48 and verse 22, and again in chapter 57, verse 21. So how can one have peace is the question. That is raised by that. Where is peace found? And in the midst of that, the Lord cries out peace, peace to the far and to the near. And we read in Isaiah 53, verse five, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It is through the death of Jesus Christ that we are able to be at peace with God and brought into one family, one body, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16 says. He's killed the hostility that was between hostile people, people who had nothing in common, whether Jew or Gentile. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be part of the family of God, the people of God. And it's important that we keep these things in mind as we think about dwelling in unity as God's people that we remember the foundation of Jesus Christ and the cross by which he bought our peace. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are not above 
fights and quarrels. The New Testament talks uh, quite a few times about um, later on in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul is going to say, stop grumbling and arguing. And he, he uh, talks to two ladies in particular in chapter 4 who were had a dispute about something. And he exhorted them to agree in the Lord. And so this is a theme that's going to continue on in Philippians. There's a need to, as Philippians, or Ephesians, sorry, Ephesians 4 verse 3 says that we ought to eagerly maintain the unity, unity in the bond of peace. We are to actively protect the unity which Christ has bought for us. And so today, as we look at the call to unity, we're going to see that true Christian unity is fueled by an attitude of humility. If unity is is a blazing fire, then humility is the fuel that keeps unity alive and well. Cannot separate our Unity in Christ with his humility and love and and servant heart. Our unity as a body is fueled by being committed to the humble attitude of servant, the mind of Christ who went to the cross so that we might have peace. So in today's text, we're going to spend a a little bit of time talking about a reason for unity and the call for unity in the first two verses. And in verses uh, 3 and 4 of Philippians chapter 2, we'll look at a description of unity which includes that humble attitude of a servant being willing to serve one another. So if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 4 in our text for this morning. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 begins this way. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and mercy Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility of mind, each of you should regard one another as more important than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul begins with the word therefore, and he points us back to verse 27, where he spoke about standing firm in one spirit with one mind and striving side by side for the good news. So you see this need to be together. For the sake of the gospel, that's the goal towards which we are to strive. 
And now what Paul is, has briefly described in verse 27, he picks up again in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You can feel the, the force of his argument. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any fellowship in the spirit, any affection or mercy, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Paul speaks here not so much out of logical precision, like here's your ten reasons why, but out of the depth of his affection for them. And so he gives them these four reasons to be of the same mind. He mentions encouragement. The encouragement we have as a believer in Jesus. The comfort of knowing the love of God. The fellowship we experience through the Spirit. And lastly, any, any affection and mercy, which could be referring to Christ's affection and mercy for us or our affection for one, one another. But Paul, he doesn't say these things in doubt. He knows they've experienced the love of God. And so he recalls for them these things that they know. These things that were preached to them, these things in which they believed and have experienced. He pleads with them to remember all they've experienced in, in the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ. If you need a reason to care about unity with your brothers and sisters here in Christ Community Fellowship, here it is. Think about the love of God for you. The fellowship, the encouragement, the affection and mercy of God. All these many blessings that you've been given through Jesus. Every one of them, and you could think of more, is another reason to heed the call to have the same mind. This is the love of God for us, that we might live in unity with one another and be at peace. And so we have this call for unity in verse 2. I'll read that for us. Complete my joy. This was Paul's desire. This is, it ought to be our desire. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit and of one mind. Literally, this reads, think the same thing, having the same love, being joined in soul, thinking the one thing. To think the same thing, to think the one thing is to be like-minded. 
to agree on on what matters. And we'll talk about what that mind, what that thinking, that attitude is to be in a moment. This is more than agreeing on every little detail about life. It's not about your preference in food or sports or personal opinions. Paul is writing about having a unity in attitude, a unity in love, and a unity in purpose. A huge clue for us about the unity, the mind that we are to have is found in verse 5. And we're going to talk more about it next week, but it really, really is important in understanding this passage. If you look at verse 5, you notice it says that we are to have this mind. I noticed that a couple of translations translate it, have the same mind here again. But it actually says this mind, and it's very specific. You see, in verse 2, we, we read we're to have the same mind, and then and later this one mind, and now here it is this mind. It's directing us to where our focus, our attitude what are we to be conformed to? What, is, what unites us? Well, there it is in verse 5. The mind, the attitude, the thinking of Christ. Christian unity is centered around Christ's heart. It is to have the same mind and attitude of Christ, who, as we will talk about next week, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant and he be, being found in, as a man in human form, even humbled himself, was obedient to the point of death on a cross. This is the heart, the mind of Christ, of love, Humility, a servant heart. Those who know the Lord and you trust in Him alone for salvation, we are to be united of one mind, the same love, the same attitude as Christ. This isn't about being conformed to my likes and preferences and desires, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, His will and His heart, the love and humility that He has shown to us. So we'll come back to that again next week because it's so important. But here then in verses 3 and 4, before we get to that, he gives us some very practical of this mind lived out, this unity. And so let's read verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or selfishness 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility of mind, each of you should regard one another as more important than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So first, Paul makes the point about what unity is not. And we need to hear this as people who tend to wander away to seek our own way. He writes, do nothing from selfishness or uh, vain conceit. Let's uh, talk about both of those things for just a moment. Selfishness is that wonderful quality of seeking my own way before anything else that is not quite so delightful for those around us. It is to seek our way, our desires, our goals before anything else. To be self-focused. Life is about me and what I want. And two thoughts on this. First of all, selfishness is clearly described in Scripture as sin. As James writes in James chapter 3 and verse 16, Where there is selfishness, there is disorder and every kind of evil practice. Let me go, really, James? A little selfishness isn't that bad, is it? I mean, everybody has a little bit of that in them. Well, it is actually a very serious thing. See, when we we live for ourselves, we flipped around the way that the world was made. We are creatures who serve, who are created to serve our Creator. So when we live for ourselves, we are not living out of love for God or others, which is, is that not the whole law? So thereby by living for myself and my desires and and thinking even just of myself first is to be guilty of breaking the whole of the law. So we we need a Savior then, don't we? This is a serious thing. And secondly... Um, selfishness is also destructive to unity. Our sin breaks the bond of peace. Uh, if you want to live in unity, try to li- uh, try to live for others and not yourself. Maybe that's really self-explanatory, but it's good to remember that. 
Who am I living for in this moment? Who am I thinking of primarily? Am I doing this to fulfill my own desires or am I doing this out of love for others, right? Now really think about the motives because many people do very good things from very selfish reasons. Unity is found next to selfishness. And then after selfishness, we're uh, told do nothing from vain conceit. And right there, it's, it's, it's useless, it's vain, it's empty, right? It's within the word itself that, that shows us that uh, it's a foolish pursuit to be conceited, to have an exaggerated view of ourselves. Pride is the word that we throw around a lot. But do we think about how we view ourselves? Is my view of myself that the world revolves around me? Am I always right? Am I the important person in the room? Is that the way we think of ourselves? Is that what we desire? I want the praise of man. I want people to to look at me. Like selfishness, this kind of an attitude doesn't exactly hold people together. Two conceited people don't get along, although I guess misery loves uh, company, so you can be miserable together as two conceited people, but you can't be united. When we see ourselves as those who are created to serve God. We can humble ourselves to serve one another and to love them as God, who is infinitely greater than we are, has loved poor creatures such as us. So conceit also is sin um, because the proud person has placed themselves above the great God who made them. When we, we see our place as one who has been created by God and as those who were created to reflect His image, we can lay aside our the we our significance is not then in in being something more than we are but it is found in in being someone who serves the lord as we were created to one who loves others The greatest obstacle to unity is not um, legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. The world does not revolve around us. 
Selfishness and conceit are not the mind we are to have. And so we must put off the old man. We need to call these things what they are. Be willing to name selfishness and pride in our lives and seek to have nothing to do with those things. Because selfishness and conceit douse the flames of unity. They put that fire out pretty quick. But verse 3 continues, In humility of mind, in lowliness of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. A humble person does not think too highly of themselves. Not saying that they think they're dirt and utterly meaningless, though there's a place for that feeling when we realize the depth of our sin. But rather it is we recognize that the world, we're not the creator, we're not the king. We exist to serve and to please another. And his desire is for us to live for one another, to love one another. So rather than seeking to be the important one in the room, we are to serve everyone else in the room. Remember the disciples and how they were always trying to get the best spot and arguing about who is the greatest? Read Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10, and it comes up a couple of times there. And what did Jesus say to them? He said in Mark 9.35, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then again, in the next chapter later, the same thing come up. And in chapter 10, verse 43, Jesus said, Whoever wants to become great must become a servant. And he said that the Son of Man came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So we do this in Philippians 2, verse 4, by learning to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests and to the needs of others. To love someone and to seek to be a servant to them is to seek to see what's going on and to think of them and to care for them rather than insisting on our own way God calls us to seek the good of our neighbor and to put them first just as Christ himself has done. All of this comes back to Jesus. I can't stress that enough. We're going to talk about it again next week because of this. The foundation of 
Our salvation is the humble love of Christ. We would not be here today if he had not humbled himself to the point of a cross. He had not been obedient to the Father. He had not come to serve and to give his life. The mystery of the ages is that the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, would give his life as a ransom for you and me. Jesus didn't endure the cross so that we could advance our own kingdoms, but so that we would build one another up in love, offering our lives to the service of his kingdom and his glory. This is what matters in life. And if anything, we think otherwise, we have forgotten the greatness and the depth and the wonder of God's love. Knowing the good news of Jesus' sacrifice is what gives us the strength to serve others in the same way. I know it's not the natural way of thinking about things. I'm a fairly self-centered kind of a guy. But joy and peace is found in serving others and recognizing the wonder and the greatness of all that God has done for us. So I want to consider some practical implications for our lives. I don't think we should ever read any verse in the Bible without thinking about the implications for our lives. But these especially leave us, I think, with how do I live this out, right? Let's just consider a couple of implications. First of all, I've been especially challenged to call selfishness and conceit what it is. And to turn away from it. I love to serve when there's little cost to myself. Or I think there's a greater gain than the loss. Well, that's a foolish way of thinking. In fact, it's actually an idolatrous way of thinking. And I'm learning to see it as that selfishness, as love, as idolatry, loving either man's praise or for me also uh, my comfort more than I love my brother. Those two things often surface and we could call that selfishness. And so to be able to know sin for sin and not to, to call it something else, like, oh, I'm just busy, or tomorrow I'll have time, or whatever our excuse may be, to repent. You know, the Word of God 
says, humble yourselves and he will lift you up. James 4 verse 10. How does selfishness and conceit rear its ugly head in your lives? And what, what have you done about it? What do you do about these things when they come up? Do you push them aside or pass the blame to someone else? Or do we acknowledge sin and confess it? So that's one practical implication that we know we name sin for what it is and confess these things forsaking them secondly I really want to stress that our unity as a church here together is dependent on our willingness to humbly serve one another there is no unity without humility there is no fellowship without love there is no Joy without being willing to and desiring to serve others. And so each day this week, every day, I would encourage you to wake up and to ask yourself, how can I put others' interests ahead of my own today? How can I take the place of a servant? How can I encourage unity with my humble attitude and to take the time to be in the word of God and in prayer and recognizing our place in the universe as those who have been so loved by God, those who are created to serve and to live for him. And that is the place of joy and peace in our lives. And you recognize that out of which we might serve one another. That might mean you choose to drop your important business, whatever busy thing you're doing, to help a friend or family member. That might mean taking the initiative to hear how a brother or sister in Christ is doing. Maybe it's somebody who's not around here anymore, a friend from years ago, or maybe it's someone right here that you haven't talked to in a while. Are they well? Is there any way that you can serve them? Maybe it means getting to know somebody you don't really know and, and taking the time to hear about them rather than making it all about telling them about you. Might mean just listening. When somebody's talking to you and they're telling you something and they have a different opinion than you do. And you know when someone objects to something important, an issue that shouldn't be ignored, to continue to be gracious and humble in the way that we treat one another. Even though we may need to, in love, speak the truth and be honest about the things that are important. These are some thoughts.
how will you take the place of a servant today? Let me remind you, it's impossible without Jesus Christ. But when we come to know his great love and kindness toward us. Then humbly serving others becomes the greatest joy of all. And I pray that we all would know that joy. The joy of God in loving and giving so much for us. I truly hope and pray that you find it so. Unity is fueled by humility. So let's keep the fire burning here in our church by putting on an attitude of humility and learning to serve others.